Welcome to Optivate, a podcast for mobile marketers brought to you by Remerge. Take a short break from your screen and listen to what's working in mobile marketing and what's not, straight from the people who are doing it now. Are you ready? Let's get started. Welcome to the show, Ludovic. It's great to have you. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Maria. Wouldn't rather be anywhere else at 8.30 a.m. on a Wednesday. Me too. I'm ready to kick this off. So yeah, I mean, to get us started, where are you based? I'm based out of New York. Yeah, I'm originally from Belgium, though, but have been living in the city for about five years. Awesome. I'm actually in New York City as well. So we should have done this in person. I know, right? It probably would have been much better. (laughs) I'm actually right by the Google offices, too. So we're probably like only three blocks from each other. Let's have lunch soon. Yeah, (laughs) we'll have to. Yeah, to get us started, I think it'd be helpful to hear more about you, your role, what you're doing at Google, and yeah, just a little bit of background on your story. Sure. As far as my Google career goes, I've been here for about eight years. I started off in Dublin, our European headquarters, where I was working on the Benelux market, pretty much focused on advising mid to top tier clients about their go-to-market strategies, how to achieve growth through our platforms of Google's marketing solutions. And then I moved over to New York City did a similar role for a year or two, and then joined the international growth team. And I've been on that team for about five years now. So we really focus on basically helping clients understand where international growth opportunities are and how they can tackle those, how to prioritize opportunities, and then how to get the most out of export markets that are not their domestic markets. Awesome. What prompted the move to New York? Honestly, it's one of those like, why not? (laughs) Yeah, it just was a bucket list item. Figured I'd come here for a few years, found an opportunity, and now it's been five years. So I haven't looked back since. I know, similar for me. I moved four years ago and I always told myself, yeah, I'll probably only spend five years in the city. And now I'm coming up on four and I really don't see myself leaving anytime soon. (laughs) There was a girl involved for me too. So I was like, okay, I guess I'm locked in now to stay for a while. (laughs) That will definitely change things for sure. (laughs) So in terms of apps that you are advising, is there a specific vertical that you're working on? Love to hear more a little bit about that. Yeah, we actually most recently kicked off the app program. I kicked it off a couple of years ago, expanding from the non-app side to the app side. And initially was really focused on gaming. Why gaming? Just because those are the apps that they can scale the fastest, that can find addressable audience pretty easily and are prone to do well in international context. And then we've expanded to non-gaming. So basically, we span across all verticals. We've had a few people on the team now, so we're verticalizing ourselves. And I've moved on to more towards the non-gaming side, actually. So a lot of fintech apps, some lead gen stuff, some retail stuff. So, In terms of gaming, what have you found what types of games have actually performed well when thinking about expansion? I would assume probably more casual titles versus anything like RPG related, but just curious what you've seen and what has done well. Just because like, we definitely work with a lot of international markets. My team specifically has actually expanded more into Latin America. And it is very different than what we see in the US just in terms of user behavior and everything. So curious what your experience has been there. Yeah. Every gaming app has a potential to succeed internationally. I think there are definitely lower barriers to entry for the games category that you mentioned, the casual, hyper-casual games, because there's less translations, there's a wider restable audience, and it's a volume play. So if you think as US is a domestic market and start to think more about the Latin region, which you referenced, 
there's a ton of volume there and there's low CPIs. And if you're on top of that, add the fact that you're not having to do much work in terms of localizing content and you can put together something that's acceptable, it makes it way easier to scale faster. So so yeah, those types of games scale pretty well. That's not to say that other games don't. I think it really just depends on which markets you're targeting and how flexible your team is in terms of turning around localized content. In terms of localized content, I mean, what's the hardest part? Is that just translation or are a lot of these apps sticking with English as they expand? I guess, what is the most challenging part of that? Translation is pretty easy. You just get an agency to do it. Some clients I've worked with do it in-house or even to your point, stick to English, right? I think that's one thing to call out. A lot of advertisers think they're restricted by not having a different language outside of English, but we use something called the English Proficiency Index. If you Google that, there's actually a lot of external tools for free that you can use that rank all markets based on how comfortable users are converting in English. And those are often markets that sometimes surprise our advertisers. So you can go to those in English pretty easily. When it comes to the most challenging pieces, like I said, the translation piece is pretty simple. Get an agency, do it in-house. I think the most challenging part is the, the culturalization piece. So when we talk about localization, you could think of it as a spectrum, right? The first step is really that translation piece. And yes, now you can address a local audience and local language. But what we find is U.S. advertisers are copy-pasting what they're doing in the U.S. when they go to Germany and when they go to Japan and when they go to LATAM. But the users are very different. So again, this depends on the game type, but you want to make sure that you're localizing your messaging and your creative strategy according to those local market preferences. So as an example, we have, again, I like to name simple wins, but we have a go-to-market calendar guide for each market that we work with our clients on to say like, hey, for example, Ramadan's coming up. Obviously, that's not as big in the US, but it's a huge strategy you can cater to when going to the MENA markets. So how are you adapting your creative messaging to that? Do you have a team that's on the lookout for local market trends, local user trends, all those small nuances that are actually really important to consider when catering to local users in foreign markets? When thinking about marketing, are you advising on what channels they should be leveraging? You bring up Ramadan. And the biggest thing for us when thinking about certain holidays like that, it's do you need to be holding off on ads during certain times? Or do you need to reconsider KPIs because users might not be as heavily like using the app? What does that look like? Obviously, what we're talking about Google channels, we're aware our advertisers are using other channels too. And we're very transparent and open with them about that to see what the share of wallet is to speak, so to speak, and make sure they're allocating budgets in the right places to suit their needs. And then I think to use a buzzword that's really going on right now, we're leaned into AI and automation. So the best practice is typically to, yes, cater to the local market. And we know that we look at trends, seasonality, when there's spikes in installs, when CPIs creep up, we can look at averages, what's happening in real time in the category. But ultimately, if you have a well-oiled algorithm that's been working in a region, the best practice is to lean into that automation side of things and adjust KPIs in terms of potentially how much you're willing to pay for a user, what your rare target is, those types of things within a certain time span, and then let the system figure it out by giving it enough room to scale and find those users that you're looking to target within those KPI ranges. And when you're thinking about KPIs, how do they differ for each market? You had mentioned that in Latin America, you can have very low CPIs, but are you advising these apps on what their CPI targets should be? And ultimately, I think CPI is important, but it's more those like down funnel metrics, like return on ad spend that advertisers really care about. And how do you advise them when it comes to those KPIs and benchmarks they might see in one region and 
trying to convince them that they need to think differently because the users operate very differently. If I'm thinking about Latin America, users probably aren't spending as much in app. And also, maybe they're not spending as much more time in app if we think about the way that you think about the way that we use our phones here and like we're on unlimited data plans and that's not always the case in other markets. So we can't be spending a ton of time and maybe you only have limited amount of time to get in front of a user. Yeah, absolutely. Those are really good points. I think obviously we always advise that that's the best practice to advertisers to move towards a ROAS or TC-based strategy where you're considering the overall return on, on the download. And it goes back to what I was talking about earlier, the localization piece. You can't copy paste a strategy from the US to a different region expected to work exactly the same. And that's, I think, also why the conversation around market expansion and strategy and go-to-market things, it should not just be based on like a UA manager testing out a few markets. It should go higher than that. It's the C-level, the leadership that's deciding, are we strategically going to go for this region, this market? Yes or no? Why, why not? And then what are the KPIs going to be that, that we track our performance by? And so to your point, I think part of my job is to use benchmarks and to explain to clients like, hey, if you go to... Mexico, we're not going to expect the same in-app purchase trends, but we could get lower costs. And what does that mean for your return on investment? So I think it's understanding that each region is going to have a different type of value proposition and you need to adjust your QROs and CPA goals accordingly as well. And then you mentioned something interesting. What was the second point you mentioned I wanted to touch upon at the end? I was talking about how in different markets, when you think about the US, like we spend a lot of time on our phones because we have unlimited data plans. And that's something that we always consider when working in other markets is that doesn't always translate either. You have a limited amount of time to get in front of a user. And that's a really good point. I think some of our recommendations are to go beyond just what happens in app and what the audience looks like. It's also around that the usage of mobile phones, the trends that we're seeing in local markets. And we have a lot of recommendations around if you go to LATAM or what we call next billion user markets at Google, are you considering the file size of your app, the APK size? Reducing the size can increase. There's a direct correlation between the amount of conversions when it comes to advertising or just organic installs. Are you considering access to data? How much data does it require to download the actual app? And all these things have a huge impact when you go to these emerging markets. So yeah, really good point. Definitely things to consider in, in your strategy. What has been the most challenging piece? Like, I'd love to understand a success case, but also a case where maybe there was expansion and it didn't actually work out. The ideal success case, which luckily happens a lot, <laughs> is... 99% of the time, right? 99% <laughs> of the time it works, 20% of the time. <laughs> no, success case, best case scenario, we talk to a client, we outline build market opportunities based on their data, based on Google-owned data, some of the benchmarks that we pull from third parties, and we prioritize those based on how easy it is to address that audience and what their gap is in terms of addressing that audience where perhaps they're not ready to go at. So we consider things like language and app, the, the game type, the type of users they're targeting. We can present that and within the next couple of months, we start running up some trial campaigns in those new markets. Clients often super surprised saying, oh, it's actually working really well. We didn't think that would happen. And so the thing here is that there's a lot of untapped addressable audiences that our clients aren't considering. That's the best case to map out a whole international growth strategy from low-hanging fruit all the way up to sort of the more complex markets to tackle like Japan and Brazil that need heavy localization. And ideally, the advertiser walks away with a clear idea of what their growth plan should look like in the next couple of years, what markets they can tackle now with the app as is, and what changes they need to make to the app or improvements to really tackle the more complex markets in the future. 
So that's typically the space where we live in. And yeah, obviously it doesn't always work out. I think a lot of the time to answer a question about an example where it doesn't work out, a lot of the times, like when it doesn't work out, I want to sit back and scratch my head and be like, we did all the right things, <laughs> but ultimately <laughs> there's no way of knowing like this is going to work for sure. And sometimes it comes down to the actual app itself. And are we doing everything we can within the app to cater to these users? And so obviously I'm really focused on using the channels that we have, giving information about local market audiences, what trends we're seeing, what to tap into, how to optimize your campaigns, how to structure campaigns. But I can't go as far as diving in the app itself and deciding what that's going to look like. So I think... Like in terms of user flow or something like that, like you're not advising there. Right. Actually, we go as far as sometimes for our larger clients to really dig into the user flow too. We have some UI UX specialists. We partner with the play team here at Google to kind of really make sure we're ticking all the boxes in terms of best practices. And again, like usually that works out and we identify based on the conversion rates, we identify specific roadblocks to say, hey, have you tried fixing this? We have a lot of times that the roadblocks come down to, or the blocking points are, hey, you're not offering PayPal in this market for in-app conversions, right? PayPal is key in this region. Huge, yeah. Or like KYC is like way too complex. You've added additional steps. You're making the user form or logging like way too difficult for this market. So those types of things essentially are sometimes the things that prevent growth or success in some markets. Yeah. I was actually going to ask you about do you see success in specific verticals? So obviously gaming can translate well, right? Because especially if there's like a specific IP and it's known internationally, that always helps. But I was thinking about like fintech, which you mentioned earlier, and how challenging that could probably be, especially when thinking about user flow and information that users need to put in. So if we're thinking about a market in EMEA where people are probably more concerned about privacy, are there going to be more barriers to entry if you have to put in certain types of personal information, but yet you need to input that information to actually use the app. Yeah, fintech's been a big one. Working with a lot of fintech clients, I think the main challenge there which you touched upon, which we're seeing is not only do we ask our advertisers to comply with local regulations, which is obviously a must, but we also have our own Google <laughs> regulations. So I think that's one point is to make sure you fully understand what it implies to go to a new market from the local governance perspective, but also from the user acquisition channels that you're using, what's required from there. And Google really airs on the side of caution, and they're very intentionally vague sometimes about what can and can't be done in some of the markets. So that's definitely a challenge in that space. Yeah. So like when thinking about an app like that, would the user flow potentially be different in a specific market because of either regulation or maybe what you know about the user base? Yeah. In fintech specifically, the user flow is 100% defined by the requirements of local governance. I think, obviously, we want the user flow, if we're talking about it for fintech, it's usually a form fill out or to set up an account. Obviously, the best practices, which you all know, is to make it as short as possible, like get the user locked in. But with the uh, KYC and regulations, you often have to ask for the more heavy stuff up front. And so some of the things that we focus on with fintech clients are in markets that we're allowed to advertise in, how do we reach users that we know in the longer term are more likely to, one, pass the verification process? That's a big issue. They're spending all this money acquiring users, they fill out the form, but then turns out they're not actually qualified to opt into whatever product or service that they're trying to opt into. So making sure we're reaching the right users that are going to pass the check. And two, are they going to be long-term value drivers for the business? If it's a loan app, are they going to take out significant loans? 
if it's an investing app, how much money are you going to deposit into the account? And so we go back to AI automation, whereas making sure we're putting those signals correctly into the interface, leveraging cool things like Firebase and making sure that we're optimizing towards the right type of thing so that the algorithm can pick out the right users and drive success in the longer term as well. You mentioned like user LTV, which is interesting, especially when thinking about these billion dollar user markets, as you mentioned. In some of these markets, if we think about Latin America, we think about countries in Africa where like people are coming online for the first time. How do we think differently about user LTV? How frequently these users are actually using their phones? Are they actually going to have access to continue to use their phones? I'd be curious like how you've been able to tackle that in specific markets, knowing that there's so many new users coming in, but how do you retain those users? I think it's the next billion user piece is something that blew my mind when I worked on a smaller project looking at those markets and we realized that every week millions of people are coming online for the first time. And so it's thousands a day in some markets. Yeah, which is crazy to think about because you just assume that everybody has a mobile phone. Right. And there, I wanted to plug that website. If you Google next billion users, there's a lot of cool info about that. But those people are not only coming online for the first time, but their whole digital experience is mobile only, mobile first. They're skipping all the platforms that we started on. So how do you address that? And how do you cater the experience to that user? I think one example, recently I've been working with a couple of web browsing apps. And typically when we pull data, look at benchmarks, we'll see like US come out on top in terms of install volume and engagement, a lot of Western markets as well, typical English speaking markets. But for this category specifically, Latin's exploding in growth. And I think that's partly driven by this, a lot of people coming online for the first time, but also these are users that are potentially engaging online only through their mobile devices. And if there's an increase in people coming online, there's obviously an increase in browsing apps. And these users are also becoming more and more prone to thinking about their privacy and user safety. And so the conversation I'm having with some advertisers in the space is to say they want to target those tier one markets because that's what's driving the most value. And what I'm bringing to the table is saying, yeah, that's great, but these markets are completely saturated. You're spending all this money to try and pull potentially user away from an existing browser that they use and convert them. Like it's a very costly conversion and we're not even sure like the LTV might not be great either. And then now we have this whole region where these users have no browsers installed on the devices. They're coming online for the first time. Obviously in the short term, the revenue isn't going to be as high as it would be maybe in some tier one markets. But use this data to think all this information to think about what your long-term strategy could be. If we're capturing all these users and you have a first-to-market advantage in this region, there's little competition, there's low barriers to entry. If we could capture this audience... Yeah, I was just going to say, no competition. <laughs> right. We look at a lot of branding versus category interests analysis based on the branded search volume and the search volume for the category. We can say like, hey, there's basically no branded search volume for these apps in this region. That means you have a first mover advantage. What if you did like a huge awareness campaign or what if you tailored your creative to the needs of these users that are coming online for the first time? What are they thinking? If you could put a guide together to explain to them, hey, this is the internet, this is how you use it. All things that short, if we're more short-sighted to say like, hey, that's a lot of work and these aren't gonna drive any short-term revenue. We'd rather stick to like our key markets, UK, US, Australia, Western Europe. To answer your question, yeah, I think that's the topic I always bring on in terms of like our longer term strategy should perhaps be focused on these next billion users, these emerging markets. And there's really 
in some categories an opportunity to establish yourself as like the reference for that category just by catering to that audience that's coming online for the first time. Do you see hesitation where some apps are going to be like, well, I want somebody else to try it first before we do? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I never heard, I want someone else to try it first. They've just said like, hey, I need to hit these numbers. We need revenue. <laughs> that's how the business works, which makes total sense. And which goes back to what I was saying earlier about these decisions and conversations need to be made at leadership level. Because when you're sure, if you have a game and you want to test out quickly some export markets is great but if you're talking about like an app where you're driving substantial revenue in key markets but that market is starting to get saturated costs are creeping up when you talk about like where we're going to be three years from now five years from now ten years from now and making the right strategic moves now through acquiring key users in emerging markets could mean the world of difference what markets are most interesting to you at this time because i think like for me like being in the industry for 10 years now i feel like since I've started working in this industry. We've always talked about Latin America as an emerging market, but now there are certain markets within Latin America that have become more mature. So I'm like interested to get your perspective on like where you see this new untapped market that apps should start thinking about. I'd say in the last few years, I've seen Brazil come up way more often. Brazil used to be, I think, a market that we'd see, but not even like really address because it was too challenging in terms of, yes, high volume, but like, Low revenue. Low revenue, big bounce rates, like not much retention, which India, for example, still is. India is very hard to crack. I think Brazil is now moving into a place where some of my advertisers have seen success there. And yeah, if now we started to get good revenue levels and a good return on investment from Brazil, coupled with the fact that it's a massive country with a huge addressable audience, with an accelerating rate in terms of people coming online, digital penetration, increased smartphone penetration, increased data speeds, that's obviously a, a recipe for success. So that's an interesting one. And then I would say don't sleep on Southeast Asia. Going back to the English proficiency, there are some markets in there, Philippines a favorite, where there are, the campaigns just work because there's no need to localize any creative because the English proficiency is so high. A lot of users are comfortable converting in English. And those are markets are often ignored because Southeast Asia. Like, well, I'm gonna, how am I going to localize my app for those markets? Obviously, not all Southeast Asian markets. I call out Philippines as a good one. It typically performs well with just the way the app is functioning in the US or any English market. Got it. I want to go back to like talking a little bit about different verticals that have worked well in other markets. We've touched on fintech. We've touched on gaming. Are there any others that have popped up recently that you see working well and translating well into other markets or maybe others that have been challenging? Good question. So I mentioned web browsers. That's definitely an interesting one right now because in the West, it's all about privacy. People are reconsidering which browser to use because they don't want to be tracked. And then in emerging markets, it's more about the volume of the opportunity. And so a lot of advertisers split between those as to where they should be focusing their attention on. So that's an interesting one for sure. That's increasing in popularity. I've been working with, within the, I guess this is still fintech, but money transfer apps as well. It's super interesting. Again, there's like a split between more developed Western economies where we just want to transfer money. Like, I think I'm a prime example between different continents without having to pay crazy fees. Yes. And then also there's that whole emerging markets, immigrants that want to send money back home or just a way to exchange money between countries as we become more and more globalized. 
So that's been a very interesting one as well. And then I recently, I had a spike in crypto as I worked with, that's died down now, obviously. But that was super interesting and still is super interesting to work on. I don't know if you've worked with any crypto clients, but I have some interesting stories to share. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we have actually. And it's funny you mentioned that because Latin America is actually was a big market for us in terms of crypto apps that we were working with. And yeah, last, I want to say probably a year and a half ago, we were seeing so much traffic, so much activity happening that all, of course, died down (laughs) pretty drastically. But I'm actually interested to see how that transforms with things trending in a positive direction now, if we'll start to see a lot of that resurface. Yeah, I think I even pulled some data and, and put some graphs together that, that showed like a direct correlation between you know, the volume of installs with the fluctuation of key cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. So that was super interesting to follow. I think now there just needs to be a mindset change in terms of what type of users we're acquiring. I think clients in this space are probably well, advertising in this space are probably less focused on people that just want to quickly trade Bitcoin because it's increasing and more so focus on, again, we go back to the LTV piece, users that really want a a decent app to be able to trade crypto regularly or to exchange cryptocurrencies with other people. So I think it's more going to be about the messaging, safety, security. Yeah, security is going to be huge. (laughs) Yeah. And that positioning versus like, hey, you can trade like the newest coin that's probably going to tank in three days, (laughs) which I think was a strategy initially. Yeah. And I think like going back to LTV, I feel that with crypto apps, they have a lot of benefit when you think about retaining a user, because if I'm trading crypto, I'm probably only going to be using one app. I'm not going to be testing out different apps where I'm going to be trading. I'm going to keep everything typically in one place. I don't know. That's just me. I don't know if that's how the typical user would operate, but super important to retain that user. You'd be able to communicate those benefits. For sure. You never want to put your try and say like, well, I would do this because I think that was a mistake I would always make. I was like, well, I would do this, but I'm not the typical user. (laughs) That's why we go to the data. But yeah, you make a really fair point. But I think increasingly also in the crypto space, the whole point is that you can easily transfer money from one app to the other through wallets and whatnot without having to pay fees. So yeah, I think, and again, it's funny how we always come full circle and go back to the basics. But if I was a crypto advertiser, I'd think long and hard about what am I strategic value adds, how am I differentiating myself from the competition, which is what you need to do when thinking about things like ad copy and creative messaging anyway, and really lean into that in a way that's sustainable and leans into a strategy or a positioning that you can have for the foreseeable future and not have to jump ship when the space or the industry or the any cryptocurrency goes in the other direction. Yeah. Back to like the creative piece, I guess, what has worked well in specific markets as it pertains to creative? Are there different creative formats that are better? Like I think if we think about user acquisition, a lot of what you're leveraging might be more video-based. Or if we think about games like playables, trying to introduce a certain concept to users. But then if we think about the fact that some of these markets might have limited data plans and how long is the user going to actually watch a video? Are they going to watch the entire video? Like how do you think about that? Or are you even advising on that? I could be out of touch with this question. (laughs) Yeah, no, for sure. Like creative excellence is a huge piece, right? I think when you think about from a Google perspective, there's user acquisition campaigns, especially with app campaigns, it's so automated and leading into AI that there are only a limited amount of levers that you can pull. So there's the bidding piece, you choose what kind of bid and budget you want to put in. And then there's the leaning into structure and optimization campaigns. 
But then the other piece is the creative piece. Those are the two main levers you can pull in terms of deciding if the campaign is going to be successful or not. And the other stuff is just reliant on the app itself. So yeah, creative is massively important, but then it really depends on the app and the industry, uh, the category, of course. So with gaming, yeah, you can definitely go down rabbit holes of, I think, we had a funny occurrence where we're working on automated voiceovers. So we can say, hey, like we know that voiceovers help drive more conversions. You should have voiceovers, but we know it's challenging. So we, and you can actually do this in the Google Ads interface within the tool section. I think they've, they've integrated it now. You can just type up a text and have a voice roll over the actual a video campaign or the video creative. And it could be in that language. Yeah, I think there's, I don't want to say anything that's wrong, but there's definitely like 10 plus languages in there. And then you can choose if it's a man or a woman, you can choose an accent, like there's an Australian accent. And so... Initially, it was a very robotic voice. It was like a Google Assistant type voice, and it still kind of worked. And now we've come more and more advanced. The tool's improving, and it's almost like it's just a person talking. And what we saw was advertisers would come out back to us and say, hey, but like now with TikTok trends and stuff, we actually prefer the robotic voice. Like it drives more conversions for us. <laughs> so the tool was nice and advanced. You had like a chat talking as if they were a real person, but the advertisers didn't like that. They preferred having the robot voice because that drove more conversions. So that's just a funny anecdote to tell you that you just got to keep testing things out and optimizing and seeing what works best for that specific category or the space. So, And it depends on the category itself. In gaming, it was all about showing the actual in-game play, having someone actually play it with like having a finger or a hand in the screen, all those things. You can go pretty deep with those. But I think spending time looking at what's happening on apps like TikTok, Snapchat, all those types of things gives you a better understanding of, oh, this is something that's coming up a lot. How could we lean into this more and then just test it out? I mean, it goes back to what we were just talking about. It's like, okay, well, I would prefer this, but oh, actually. <laughs> yeah. Like the amount of times I've been obviously A-B testing always is the way to go. There's been a numerous amount of times where I've been dumbfounded where it's like, this is performing really well. I have no idea why this specific ad would perform better over the other, but that happens. And then I would say, from the Google side of things, follow all the best practices, have sufficient ad groups. That's one I see not happening all the time. Like you have an opportunity to create themed ad groups versus just having that one ad group to allow the system to figure out a different combination of ads. Essentially having more ad groups allows the system to serve more ads to more people. And that basically allows it to optimize faster and more efficiently, making sure you have multiple images, multiple text assets, multiple video assets. Those all help with increasing performances. And you see now Google's made a lot of progress in terms of adding optimization scores and efficiency scores within the Google Ads interface. You can actually review all of those and it will tell you, hey, like you should probably add more images or you should add more landscape videos. This will increase efficiency by X percent. In addition to a health quality score it gives to the creative. So those are all really useful things to, as a starting point to, to think about how impactful a creative is for your campaign. And that's all automated where the algorithm's giving those suggestions just based on the data that they're seeing. Yeah. Our optimization score has been around for a while, but it recently rolled out, started rolling out for app campaigns. And essentially it's a real-time percentage. It will say like, hey, your campaign is 89% efficient. If limited by budget, you don't have enough ad groups and your creative assets in this ad group are not good. I will tell you like, hey, if you were to act on this recommendation, your efficiency will go up by 2%. If you were to act on this recommendation, your efficiency will go up by 5%. And that's all accessible by the recommendations tab in the Google Ads interface. And so now basically the system is automatically saying, hey, do these things to increase the overall efficiency of the campaign. And once you've implemented those changes, the next day or two days later, we'll come up with new recommendations. So always something. 
that means it's working, right? Because it's continuously looking at what's happening in the industry, the space, competitive campaigns, and telling you like, hey, do this to be 1% better. And being 1% better every day leads to a, a massive improvement at the end of the year. Yes. We can't make major changes overnight, but we can make small changes. <laughs> exactly. You don't want to make major changes to campaigns either because that's going to create a lot of fluctuations. Baby steps. Yep. We were talking about different resources earlier. You mentioned nextbillionusers.google. Are there other resources you'd recommend for anyone that's trying to expand their app internationally or anyone that's enjoyed this conversation today and wants to learn more? So yeah, nextbillionusers.google is one. The mobile games report is a good one too. That's released by Google. It's basically a, a resource dedicated to helping developers figure out where to go next. There's a lot of stuff about optimizations, finding new markets, that kind of stuff, which is obviously focused on the gaming vertical. And then we have this tool called Market Finder, which is ingrained, we don't think, with Google. Some of you may be subscribed to the newsletter there, but it's marketfinder.thinkwithgoogle.com. And essentially, it's created by my team, and it's a tool that allows you to do what we do on a day-to-day -day basis in the comfort of your own home <laughs> or office. So basically, you can put in your website or app and then request an export readiness report or ask it to populate some new markets that could make sense for you as a brand or an app. It will ask you a few questions, and it will pull a lot of information, too, from your app or from your website. And then it will start to spit out recommendations about where you could be addressing more audiences internationally. And there's lots of hints and tips in there, too, about just general best practices about going global. Well, thank you. And thank you for joining today. Very enjoyable conversation. Thanks for having me on. Yes. Great way to start the day. So thank you, Ludovic. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for taking a break with us and listening to our weekly episode of Activate by Remerge. If you enjoyed what you heard, leave us a five-star review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. The more people you tell, the further we can spread these awesome mobile marketing insights. See you next week.